Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. And now, now, prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. You bet your ass, man. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow, now is there? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast, Podcast. with host Eddie Trunk. Hey folks, it's Eddie Trunk and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New episodes every Thursday, totally free wherever you get your podcasts, including new to Stitcher, Pandora, the SiriusXM app, and as usual, still available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and various other platforms as well. Thank you so much for downloading. Thank you so much for subscribing, streaming, listening, and checking out the podcast each and every week. It is greatly appreciated. As I always mention to you, this podcast and the interviews in it come to you from my SiriusXM radio show, which is called Trunk Nation and is heard daily. Monday through Friday, live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, nightly re-airs 10 to midnight Eastern, and audio, video, and more on the SiriusXM app. If you're in the U.S. or Canada and you are only listening to this podcast, you are getting a fraction of the interviews and rock talk and analysis that I do every day live on the radio on SiriusXM. So please come on board and join me for Trunk Nation on volume. There's also a sixth show on Sirius XM with music on Mondays on Hair Nation. So hope you come on board and join me. And for everybody else, this podcast is for you outside of the U.S. or Canada. And of course, those that are not yet subscribers to Sirius XM in the U.S. or Canada. Whatever the case may be, appreciate you listening. Two interviews for you this week. Uh, we will start with Rick Allen of Def Leppard, who joined me recently, as a matter of fact, on uh, this past Monday. And I wanted to turn this one around and get it to you as soon as possible, because if you're listening to this on the day it posts, which is, uh, in this case, Thursday, May 20th of 2021, Rick is doing some art shows, exhibiting his artwork through Florida at the moment. Uh, That starts today and goes tomorrow and Saturday. You'll hear all about it in the interview. We also talk about the just recently, once again, postponed stadium tour and some other fun stuff as well. Great interview, great conversation with Rick Allen. As always, you'll hear it first coming up in minutes here on the podcast. And then second, an interview that took place a couple weeks ago with Nancy Wilson. Of course, Nancy, the guitarist and one of the vocalists in the legendary rock band Heart. Nancy just released her first ever solo album of original studio material and some covers. 
and it was great to visit with her and speak with her. You'll hear that interview second on the show. So another great one, two big interviews for you this week. We start with Rick Allen of Def Leppard. We follow with Nancy Wilson of Heart. That's what we have for you on this week's podcast. I do want to let you guys know, you know, uh, big talking point on the radio show has been the return of live events and live concerts. And that happens for me as well. As you know, if you've been following and listening and you follow on social media, and I hope you do, at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook, all simply at my name, uh, you will know that I have uh, started to stack up some appearances. Haven't been on the road connecting with the audience during this whole pandemic, but it's great that that is coming back. And I have some stuff coming up I want to share with you that I hope to see you out and about at all of these events. For more information and ticket links, go to the homepage of eddytrunk.com. But they include June 11th, I'll be hosting a show with Dee Snyder at Stereo Garden, Patchogue, New York. That is also being filmed, so I'll see you there to host that. Dee goes on 8 o'clock sharp, June 11th. There may be some limited tickets still available. June 18th, I'm excited for this. I'm going to be back in McKinney, Texas, just outside of Dallas, at a place called the Guitar Sanctuary. I've been there a couple times in the past. They've got a great performance space. And I am going to be coming back to doing doing a uh, live speaking Q&A show. These are a lot of fun. I haven't done one in a long time. I just come out and talk to the audience, take questions, tell rock stories. This time around, some different stuff. I will be, of course, doing some Stump the Trunk with prizes. But I'm also going to be dipping into my photo archives and share some never-before-seen photos from the history of that metal show and more kind of calling it like uh, my scrapbook a little bit. And if you're not in the Dallas area and you can't be in McKinney on June 18th to come to the show, we're going to stream it to everybody anywhere in the world. And you can buy a ticket to the stream as well. Uh, just go to my website or go to the Guitar Sanctuary's website, search it online, Guitar Sanctuary, McKinney, Texas. You'll see the links there. You can buy an in-person ticket, or you can buy a streaming ticket. And here's the best part. The, uh, the in-person ticket, if you attend, like last time, courtesy of our friends at Tup's Brewery, will feature free beer and wine coolers. <laughs> I know how to have a good time and get people out to my gigs. Just give them free drinks. So by all means, come and spend a Friday night with me at Guitar Sanctuary. Free drinks included with the price of the ticket, which is only like 20 bucks. And I think the streaming ticket is 10 and you would have to bring your own beer to that to, the, to watch the stream. But uh, looking forward to this. This is all going down June 18th, McKinney, Texas, the Guitar Sanctuary, speaking Q&A, scrapbook show, streaming and in-person tickets are available. Hope to see you either virtually or in person in the room that night. Also, June 19th, I'm in Oklahoma City, Diamond Ballroom, hosting Dirty Honey and Joyous Wolf, two great up-and-coming bands. June 25th, I'm in Houston, a long-awaited return to Warehouse Live. I'll be there with Warrant, Lita Ford, and Bullet Boys. June 26th, another long-awaited return. I'll be back in Tulsa, IDL Ballroom, hosting Lita Ford. 
Also excited to be back hosting M3, 4th of July weekend, Columbia, Maryland. And uh, July 11th, Corning, California, Rolling Hills Casino, Skid Row Warrant Winger Autograph, hosting that one as well. And finally, last but not least, July 31, Sweetwater Pavilion, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Warrant and Eric Martin Band. There's more stuff as well, uh, including a date August 14th in Lakewood, New Jersey, First Energy Park. It's a That Metal Show reunion with me, Don, and Jim doing a comedy Q&A show. Uh, we've done that before. Looking forward to being back for that. And then, of course, Rocklahoma this year is Labor Day weekend, and I'll be there to host that as well. 80s in the Sand coming up. Tons of stuff going on. I just read you some of it. It's all on the homepage of eddytrunk.com for more info and ticket links, and please be sure to follow on social media. And also, if you're interested, I am on Cameo, and I thank those who have ordered Cameo personalized videos. Just go to cameo.com and search Eddie Trunk if you are interested. All right, so there's your stuff to get you warmed up for this week's podcast. Let's uh, get you to our interviews in uh, seconds. We'll start with Rick Allen of Def Leppard and follow with Nancy Wilson of Heart. Coming right up. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Well, here's a guy that I've had some great times with both on land and sea. Because <laughs> we've had a, we've had a well, first starting with the, the Def Leppard cruise, and then now he's been a regular on the Monsters of Rock cruise, showcasing his fantastic artwork and, uh, We've had some good times on there drinking some Frank Hannon or some Iron Maiden beer. Rick Allen of Def Leppard joins me live right now. Good to see you, my friend. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's nice to see you. How uh, how has the last year for you been, man? Have you been? I know your wife had some music that came out that you were involved in, so I know you were making some music with her. But overall, how's everything been for you the last year? Um. It was a little weird at first, you know, the last in-person shows I did outside of Dev Leopard were March of last year. I was in uh, DC uh, showing some art and, you know, I got home and everything just kind of shut down and it, it was a strange time for me. And then, um, you know, we started talking to some of our crew members and we started talking to, you know, basically people in the industry in general and we started to realize that there were real problems out there and the ripple effect that went out into our industry as you as you know have been quite devastating so um lauren came up with this idea for big love benefit concerts i called a bunch of people uh, tommy shaw matt sorum uh, miles kennedy uh, billy idol and all these people came on board we put the show together all the proceeds went to uh, Sweet Relief, and uh, we just got word that that money was very well well spent and went to people that really needed it. So uh, not only that, I mean, it's given me the opportunity to, to paint a lot. Um, and, you know, the fact that myself, uh, Lauren, and my youngest daughter 
you know, we can, we can do stuff together in the house. We can be creative in the house. You know, we can either play music together or, you know, create art. So I know it's been devastating for a lot of people, but from a personal standpoint, it's, it's actually been, uh, it's been a good break for me. Uh, and, and just to kind of regroup, tie up all those loose ends and just, just stay creative and, and, and try and be useful and being of service, you know? Um, so some good has come out of it. Do you play drums much, Rick, when you're not playing with Leopard? Do you knock around on your own kid at home? Are you, are you one of those guys that likes to still keep playing or do you prefer to focus on art and other stuff when you're not on tour? So basically, let me just move. Uh, so there's the Ferrari in the corner. Oh, you, all right. We're looking at Rick's kit right now on Zoom. Yeah. And, and then and then what I have is I have this acoustic setup. Um, I don't know if you can see Yeah, that. I see it. Yeah. Yeah. I have an acoustic setup here. Uh, the studio is a bit messy. Excuse, guys. But, um, but you know what? There's always something to do. There really is. And, and you know, it, it keeps me sane. You know, if I've got something to do here at home, then, you know, I, I'm good. It's uh, if I didn't have all this stuff, then uh, I'm not sure where my mind would go. So well, you uh, talked about that during before we came on the air. You, you actually said that you think about the mental aspects of this. I mean, you, you live in Los Angeles. You just mentioned your family's there. I'm lucky. I live, you know, I have a couple homes and I've got my family. You think of the people, especially maybe throughout the last year in small one bedroom apartments that live alone or something like that, that don't have a, a support around them. I mean, it's there's been this has been tough on people on a variety of levels, I would think. I think that was one of the the main sort of uh, that was the the the, the main um, how can I put it inspiration for for doing the Big Love for Benefit concert was realizing that within our circles there'd been several uh, suicides and you know it it just made us realize that uh, that some people were in a really bad place and. And I think the emphasis on mental health has been has been something that uh, really needs to be addressed. Um, you know, that friend that hasn't called in a while or, you know, people that you normally hear from on text or whatever. And, and all of a sudden they drop off the radar. Uh, that's the time to pick up the phone and just go, hey, how's it going? You know what? What's going on? And uh, you'd be surprised. Some, some people, some people have really, really, really suffered through this uh, this thing, understandably. Um, but I think it's it, it's um, it's the right time for the rest of us to just kind of step up and 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 just check in on people. Just make sure we've got all the technology we we could ever need. Just get on the phone or text somebody or just reach out, and that's basically what we've been doing. Yeah, I've done that with a few friends as well that are in that situation, and it, it, it's good. You know, even during the height of the pandemic, I said, you know, the weather was nice one day. Come sit down. We'll stay six feet apart, whatever. We'll talk just, you know, f some face-to-face. -face. I think I think it is important, and I think hopefully we're on the other side of all of it as things start to begin to open again. Now, there's a few things I want to talk to you about, including your art, but I want to go back to something you just mentioned. We looked at your drum kit. So, you, so for people... Now, you're, you'll be able to see this on our app uh, soon, but 
for people listening on the radio right now, Rick showed me his studio, and in it you had your electronic kit and your and an acoustic kit next to it. How does it feel for you to go back and forth as a player between the electronic and the acoustic? When you play acoustic drums again, you almost have to, I would imagine you have to reprogram yourself to some degree on what you can do and cannot do there versus the what you apply when you sit at the electronic kit. Um, that's a good point you bring up. Um, you know, as a kid, you know, like nine or 10 years old, uh, the thing that really inspired me was just being able to sit behind an acoustic drum set and it be, you know, immediate gratification. Um, I didn't have to plug anything in, I didn't have to switch anything on, I didn't have to put, you know, anything in my ears other than, you know, maybe some earplugs. Um, so the acoustic kit is, is, is basically in my DNA in a way where I just sit behind the thing and it just feels natural. It feels like, you know, I'm a kid again. Whereas, you know, the, the, the Ferrari, as I call it, which is, you know, it, it's basically designed to compete with very loud guitars in <laughs> Def Leppard world. And that was a bit more of a learning curve. Um, having said that, you know, I, uh, you know, I used to be really right footed, um, you know, as a kid, but then after my accident, it was really weird. What happened? Um, a little bit, a little bit, my left arm went to my right hand. It went to my right leg. It went to my left leg. So it's almost like the information was in my head and it naturally just, it was able to go to uh, my other limbs, and 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 now I, I you know, it feel it feels so natural playing the uh, electronic kit. Um, you know, it, 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 it's almost like it was a natural response. You know, uh, there was something missing, so somewhere in 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 you know in in my head, it, it was able to uh, redirect that information, and mm. and it's, it, it's so going between the two kits. It's, it's not really a big thing. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's just kind of natural. It's like, you know, it, when I meet people that can play multiple instruments, you know, just be able to go from a guitar to a mandolin to a piano or sing or play drums or whatever. It amazes me that they can do that. But it's not so far-fetched, uh, you know, when I compare the acoustic set to the, uh, the electronic set. So good question, though. Yeah, unfortunately, we're not going to be seeing you play any kits because it was just announced a couple days ago that the once again the tour with uh, Motley Crue and Poison and Joan Jett has been bumped another year to next June for June 2022. Which, of course, that tour is of great interest to my audience. What What do you know about the tour being uh, pushed again, Rick? What did they tell you? I knew that that was a possibility, um, but that news couldn't come from me. I, th I think whether it's sports, whether it's music, whether it's theater, all of the promoters, it, it was their call. And I, I happen to think they made the right decision because I think the, the primary focus has got to be people's health and well-being. Um, so I understand why they made that decision. We're really bummed because obviously we wanted to get out there. It's been it's been a, it's been a long time, um, but I just hope, and I know. I mean, our fans are so loyal. I mean, you know, 
it, it, it's incredible. I mean, you know, you know, the, the fact that we got, you know, the largest uh, vote uh, for the Hall of Fame, you know, fan vote. So our fans are just particularly special. I mean, they've always been a rock, you know. So, you know, I, I feel for them. And I, I, you know, I feel for us. But, uh, you know, I just want I just want people to come out and be safe. And I think if we'd have gone out uh, this year, it may have been a bit more of a patchwork of a tour as opposed to being able to play the whole thing from start to finish. So... You know, it's it's a bummer, but but here we are. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is that, and that's what I kept telling the audience because they had been asking about it again leading into uh, the last week. And the interesting thing is, uh, we all know you're in LA, I'm in New Jersey, state by state, county by county. There are still some different rules, even though most things are open now. But yet trying to do all the dates to full capacity may have been a challenge. But what I was really surprised about, Rick, was uh, today Live Nation, the same promoter that was doing your tour, did announce a stadium tour with Green Day, Weezer, Fallout Boy to go in almost the same buildings starting in July. So that wow. really opened a lot of eyebrows that like, wow, they're actually putting a stadium tour out in the same buildings with a different group of bands. Um, but I agree with you as much as I think it's tough for you guys and the fans who want to see the tour so badly, the idea of as much as it sucks to wait another year to know that it can go without a hitch, hopefully is the way to go. I, I think it, I think I, it's not surprising to me. They, they pushed it. No, no me too. And, and, and I kind of knew it was coming because when I, when I saw uh, rage against the machine, when I saw their tour get to, uh, you know, get pushed. I, I was like, you know what? It's a bummer, but I think we're probably going to be next. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a nice problem because the people that draw the bigger amounts of people, you know, that just means because the smaller shows are going to happen seemingly with no problem, but the more people you draw, the more the challenge it is. To, so you've got to move it down the line a little bit. One other thing before we talk about your art. So the leopard guys, we know Joe is in Ireland. We know Phil and uh, you and Phil are there in L.A. Viv is either there or East Coast. Uh, yep. Sav is in England. So everybody's kind of spread out. Have you been able to stay in touch with the guys? Obviously, beyond texting and Zoom and stuff, have you been able to come together at all? And have you talked about music or writing new music at all and done any of that? Well, there's always there's always new music on the go. Um, and, 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 you know, technology gives us that. You know, it, it's not like we all have to be in the same room uh, uh, these days. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm just really excited for people to get to hear new music in the not too distant future. That would be that would be really cool. So have you guys recorded some stuff? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing more shall be said for now. Is that the vibe I'm getting? I'll let Joe tell you. All right. All right. Well, I'll, I'll definitely, we, we look forward to it, whatever it may be. Cause I know you guys also did some great stuff online for the fans with the Def Leppard vault that you were going in, putting all that stuff up online uh, for people to see. Right. Well, that was another good thing that came out of COVID. You know, we had all this memorabilia and, and stuff that was stuck in the lockup and, and has been sort of there for years and years and years. And, you know, it, it was probably never going to see the light of day. 
and then we realized that this was a great opportunity just to, you know, go in, have a spring clean and, and, and sort of, you know, put everything in order. And some of the stuff that we found is just incredible. I mean, from day one, you know, it's, it, it really spans the, the history of the band. Um, you know, stuff that people have never seen before, uh, stuff that I forgot even existed. So it, it, it's fantastic that we can present that to people and uh, the response we're getting is fantastic. Who in the band was the guy that kept the best archives? Like, it was, is it Joe, the guy who has every tape, every on, concert you, you, flyer? You, you hit it on the nose. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you know Joe? I mean, you ask him, you ask him one question and, you know, basically you'd be sitting there doing nothing for the next hour. <laughs> all right well i look forward to talking to him about new music coming soon and uh everything else i'm sure we'll be getting into it soon enough so let's cool. talk about these art shows uh this thursday las olas florida seven to nine these are all at wentworth gallery this friday the hollywood hard the seminal hard rock in hollywood florida which i've been to an amazing place. The, the, they've got a, a, a hotel there in the shape of a guitar tower. It's incredible. And yeah, then on Saturday in Boca at Boca Town Center Mall, that's 6 to 9 p.m. So a little run through Florida, Wentworth Gallery, showing your art. Talk about what pieces you're going to have on display. All of it is for sale. People can meet you. And there's also a charitable component, right? Yeah, there always is. You know, I mean, it, it, the... the you know, my relationship with our wounded warriors has been has been pretty well documented for a while. You know, I suffer from PTSD and I also have, you know, a traumatic brain injury. Um, and uh, actually, that's another thing that's been really cool about, you know, COVID it, is, you know, I, I was able to address some of those issues. Um, you know, I do this thing, what they call uh, a neurofeedback. So that's, that's been, that's been, it's been good to be able to just kind of take a break and really take care of my health. Um, but yeah, in terms of the, the artwork, um, I, I ended up doing a really cool uh, Kurt Cobain, which I think Kurt Cobain changed the face of music. Um, very, you know, just that whole Seattle scene, particularly Kurt Cobain, it was. It felt the same as as when uh, punk came around. The first time I heard the Sex Pistols for the first time, it just it just turned the music industry on it on its head. And and I feel as though Kurt Cobain, you know, did that. And all the Legends pieces, they're all about that. Like people that really inspired me or influenced me. Um, and then uh, I did a really cool Johnny Cash, the original bad boy. You know what I mean? And then, uh, of course, very sad. And, and I'm sure it affected you and pretty much everybody that you know. Um, I did a couple of uh, Eddie Van Halens. And um, uh, I think the two pieces sold before I, I even finished them. Uh, but um, yeah, quick story. So uh, 1978, uh, my, my friend who lived up the street from where I grew up, uh, Mark, he calls me and he says, I want you to come and listen to this record, Rotary Dial, of course. And, um, you know, I go up there and he plays me the first Van Halen album. And I was just completely blown away. I'd never heard guitar played like that in my entire life. It was like, oh, my God, who are these guys? 
And I, I just fell in love. I fell in love with Van Halen. Uh, fast forward a couple of months, uh, they were coming through town. They were coming through the Sheffield City Hall um, with uh, Black Sabbath and Van Halen were opening for Black Sabbath. Now, Van Halen owned that show. They were so hungry and so good. It was incredible. Same thing uh, happened here in the U.S., Rick. And anybody that saw it said, it, no knock on Sabbath. Sabbath, the wheels were coming off. The drugs had set in. They were on their last gasp at that point. And then you had yeah. this firecracker in Van Halen. And the same thing happened in America. People who saw that talk about it all the time. They're like, it was not a fair fight. <laughs> it was no, just... It wasn't. It, it wasn't, I, you know, I could see the disintegration of, 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 of Sabbath and I, I could see where it was going. Uh, but Van Halen were on fire and they were just so hungry. It was, it was fantastic. So I saw that show. I was totally inspired. They, they put the bar really high. I mean, for all of us. Um, and then fast forward, I settled in uh, Studio City uh, in, uh, you know, Los Angeles area. Uh, in 91 and uh, um, Steve Lukather from Toto happens to be my neighbor and we get to know each other pretty good. Anyway, one night he calls me, he says, he says, we're having a get together. You should come and, you know, come and, come and join us. Uh, I want to introduce to someone. I want, I want to introduce to Eddie Van Halen. And I'm like, I'm there, I'm in, you know? So I went and met up with him. I was pretty starstruck. I must admit, you know, to have been looking up to, uh, Van Halen and, and Eddie for all that time. And uh, anyway, I got to meet him. Very unassuming. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think he did what he did for a living. And, uh, right. you know, between him and Hendrix, they probably changed the way people play guitar forever. Um, no doubt. But, I mean, that, yeah. that's, ex that's where that's that, you know, we did a lot, obviously when Eddie tragically died, I did weeks on it. And that, that was the two things that came out of it. It's, it's, it's Hendrix, it's Eddie. Those are the, those are the guys that, I mean, sure. There's a million other great guitar players. We know that, but those are the two guys that were the gate, like truly changed the game. Oh, I mean, they inspired so many people and it was a different way to play. It was, you know, it, it, it was, it was like, they weren't necessarily influenced by anybody else. They just came out and, and it was this new way of doing something. You know, it was just, it was a game changer. Um, so that was fantastic. So just getting to meet him, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't friends with him, but there was this mutual respect and, you know, it, it, it was good. It was, it was good. So for me to pay homage to, um, you know, Eddie and his family, and obviously the millions of fans all over the the, the planet. Uh, what better way to do that than to uh, than, than to you know paint him? Uh, so that that was my way of of, of saying thank you to a, a legend. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'm looking at the piece online now. It's brilliant. I mean, it's uh, it's great stuff. You know, I want to go back to something you you asked. You said real quickly about um, Kurt Cobain, which I think is interesting. So you clearly Nirvana and Kurt changed the face of music. We know that. But where? How did you feel about it at the time? Because a lot of the '80s based bands, even a band as big as your band, Def Leppard all took it on the chin when that scene changed in 92. I mean, everyone reacted to it differently. For Def Leppard, you guys made the slang record, which was a That's different a vibe and change influenced by that. But there were a lot of artists that had, from the 80s, who had resentment because 
when he came out, it changed the scene so abruptly. It sounds like you were more of a fan and weren't weren't too bothered about it, or maybe you were at the time. How did you feel when that scene changed so on the dime so quickly and suddenly Leopard coming off of a couple records of over 10 million sold were suddenly, you know, oh, that's, you know, now it's all about Nirvana. I mean, there was a lot of resentment from fans and certain bands at that time. You're absolutely right. And we we, we did, I believe it was an MTV show that we did and uh, Nirvana were on and we were on. And it, it, we, I must admit, we felt a little bit kind of ridiculous. Um, it, it, it was, it, it seemed as though, you know, this raw, just, you know, untethered uh, sound uh, that they were creating. Um, it just, it just, um, it kind of made a mockery of what we were doing a little bit. And I, and I think uh, you quite rightly said, you know, um, getting back to our roots and getting back to something that was raw um, was really came in the form of, of, of slang which when we initially put that record out, it, it wasn't very well received, um, but it was a creeper. And it's actually become a lot of people's favorite record, uh, including mine. I love listening to that record, um, but it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't immediate. It wasn't right out of the gate, you right. know? Uh, it, took, it took people some time to warm to it. Um, but I, 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 think, I think it was the right record to make at that time. And um, and I think it was a direct result of uh, of Nirvana. Yeah, there were a lot of bands that that did that, and some to better effect than others. I mean, I I like slang as well, but some so there, you you were far from the only artist that did an album reactionary to the change in music that was happening at the time. Most bands did some to greater success than others, whether it was commercial success or not. But just when you look back on the record, I agree. And actually, for for a fan for. Uh, Leopard fans out there that are fans of slang, a few years ago, this super deluxe version of that record came out with a ton of extra content on it. So you had actually done a lot of different things around that time. It was really cool to hear and see that, uh, like a three CD version that came out about five years ago of that. I think I think it was a very uh, cathartic sort of time for us, and it was a great a great way for us to look at you know, the music that we were, that we were producing and very experimental in many ways, but then in, in others, it, 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 it was kind of going back to, uh, back to the beginning and, and just kind of going, you know, um, do we really need all those complex harmonies? You know, let, let's do something that's a little more raw, something that's stripped down and, uh, you know, we were we actually we actually rented a house in southern Spain, and uh, we set up in the house. There were like, you know, there's a drum kit in the living room, and you know, there were there was like the the control room was in the dining room, and it was it was it was pretty cool. I mean, and to all be living together and all spending time together like that, it, it was it was really taking us back to our roots. So I think it was I think it was good for the band. So just in wrapping up here, Rick, the, uh, the, the art gallery shows again in Florida. If you're in Florida, Thursday, Los Olas, Friday, Hollywood at the Hard Rock, Saturday, Boca, Boca Town Center Hall, uh, all at Wentworth Gallery, 7 to 9 in Los Olas, 7 to 10 
at the Hard Rock in Hollywood and six to nine in Boca. You can see Rick's art. And I mean, I've, I've been on the cruise and I've been to, you did an opening at a Wentworth near my house in Jersey, uh, not too long ago. Like Short and, Hills, right? Short Hills. Yeah. And I mean, you're great with these because you're great with the fans. They love seeing you. They can buy the art. They can talk to you about the art. I imagine you enjoy this. You enjoy not only being able to show off your art, but make that connection and be able to talk about it. And, you know, you're so used to playing these big places with Leopard to be able to do stuff on a smaller scale and really get to connect with people. I, you're, you're great at it. And I would, I would think that it's something you enjoy, right? I really do. And, uh, you know, w when we do the meet and greets with Def Leppard, it's very brief. You know, it's a handshake. It's, you know, how's the weather? Da, 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 da. You know, it's, it just seems too short. And then, and then we do a couple of photographs, you know, this, that, and the other. Whereas, you know, in a more intimate setting, like a, an art gallery, I can actually get to talk to people. And, and I've, I've actually de developed some really nice relationships with, you know, some of the people that come, some of the people that are second, third, fourth, fifth time buyers, you know? So it's been really special for me to really get to know um, Def Leppard fans in a more personal way. Yeah. Well, it's great stuff. And everybody check out Rick's art again, if you're in Florida and if people aren't, uh, we broadcast of course, nationally. So people that are listening that aren't in South Florida and aren't able to, to make these dates, there's a way to buy and see your art online, I would imagine, as well. What's the best place to send everybody? I, I think to go to uh, wentwithgallery.com. Uh, and if you want to check out the pieces, you can go to rickallen.com. Uh, um, but I'm actually in negotiations with the, with the gallery at the moment. Um, and we'd mentioned, you know, earlier about, you know, getting out on the cruise. It would be fantastic to get out on the cruise again. Um, but... We're in negotiations for other galleries around the, the country. They've got uh, galleries in, in DC area. They've got galleries in Atlanta. And you just mentioned Short Hills. Uh, they've got one in King of Prussia. Um, and, and actually they're, they're starting to open up more and more galleries uh, doing deals with the, the Hard Rock hotels. So getting <laughs> galleries into casinos, which is, which is kind of a cool way to get stuff out there, you know? So- yeah. If people can't get to Florida, I'm sure there's going to be an opportunity in the not too distant future where, you know, they can get to come and say hello and maybe even buy a piece of art. And last question, Rick, you, you've been doing this for a while, painting and doing this art. There's other guys in rock music that are starting to do this. I went to uh, Michael Cardelloni, who's also a drummer from Skinner. He did one out at Wentworth that I went to. There's been a few. Have you, um, do oh, you know Stanley some of the other? Paul Stanley does it. There's two or three other guys. Have you seen others that you've become fans of their work? Have you seen some that have really caught your eye that you like what they're doing? Both are the people that we just mentioned and, you know, getting involved with the, with the gallery. Um, you know, I love, uh, I, I know he's not a musician, but uh, Peter Max, I love mm -hmm. Peter Max's stuff. His use of color is, it's just stunning, you know, such vibrant colors. Um, but you know, there's a few people out there doing it now. It's, uh, it's Brian it's, Wheat. Brian Wheat was on. He was doing something where he was painting on photos. I don't know if you've seen that, but he was doing photography and painting over it or something. Well, because of his relationship with Wentworth Gallery, also, um, you know, myself and Brian, we got to spend quite a bit of time together. And you know, when we do the the cruises, 
basically what we do is we combine the art. So, you know, he'll bring stuff in and, you know, it, it's, it's given, it's given, I mean, you know, my relationship with Tesla is like, you know, they're brothers, you know? Yeah. So it, it was a no brainer, you know, he was like, you know, do you mind if I bring some, I'm like, of course, of course I don't. I mean, how long have I known you, you know? Yeah. So it's been great to see him, you know, doing something creative outside of the music. Yeah, he wrote a book recently, too. I just spent the weekend with Frank Hannon a couple weeks ago. We traveled through Oklahoma and Texas together. We did some appearances together. And I said to Frank, I said, have you read Brian's book yet? And he goes, no, I'm afraid to. I don't." <laughs> I said, Frank, you're good. I said, don't worry about it. I read it. You're good. You can read it. You're safe. He goes, you sure? I said, yeah, yeah, you're good. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, the end of the super group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. So, well, listen, man, it's great to see you. And uh and I guess the rest of the year for you is maybe some art, maybe a new leopard song and just seeing how the rest of the year unwinds. Right. I'll keep you posted. And right. uh, you know, if, if there's a chance for us to get together, let's do it. Yeah. Well, I, I hope to, you know, in normal times I come to LA every month for radio. So hopefully those will resume soon and I'll definitely look you up. It'd be great to get together. Eddie, you're, you're fantastic, man. Thank you. Thanks for supporting. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate All right. it. All the best with the art. Everybody go check out Rick's art. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Thursday, Las Olas, Friday, Hollywood, Saturday in Boca, all in South Florida, Wentworth Galleries. Go see Rick. Go see his art. It's fantastic stuff. All the best, Rick. Take care. Take care, Eddie. Thanks to Rick Allen. Let's get you to our second interview this week. Nancy Wilson of Heart just released her first ever studio solo record. Let's talk to Nancy right now, telling us all about it and a little talk, of course, about heart as well. Enjoy. Welcome, Nancy. Great hey. to talk to you. How are you? Is this the Eddie's Trunk Hotline? <laughs> <laughs> it should be like 1-800-EDDIE-T or something, shouldn't it? <laughs> right, right. Trunk I don't me. have that kind of I don't have that kind of budget, unfortunately. Maybe one of these days. <laughs> how are you? How 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 you been? Really good. I've been, you know, as you can tell, I've been pretty busy at, um, during the shutdown, making a um, making a solo album, the first studio solo album ever. So, and it's coming out Friday, as you well know. Yep, the it's album exciting. is called you, "You and Me," and it's out on Friday. We're, we're going to get into the record and some other stuff here in just a second. But how have you? I mean, obviously, the last year has been tough for everybody. The last year and change. But for you, did you find it? a bit of a recharge. I mean, a lot of the musicians I talked to as much as they wish they were on the road, they actually enjoyed the time off and got to do some reconnecting or get to doing some things they didn't normally get to do around the house or hobbies or things like that. Beyond making the record, did you find that you, you got to do some stuff you don't normally get to do? Well, yeah. I mean, beyond making the record, you know, it was like a, um, doing Stuff like cooking that I really love to do that you can't really do easily on the road at all. And, um, you know, just being, being home, seeing, well, Zooming with my kids <laughs> and Zooming with friends and, you know, catching up to people that uh, it's interesting. A lot of people that I miss a lot of the time, I've reconnected with older friends, you know, who we went to school together and stuff like that. It's an interesting thing about being shut down because you kind of you reach out further and and your attention span gets longer and you have kind of like more time for people in your life and you have 
you know, more time to not be stuck in traffic and late for something. <laughs> <laughs> what is the Nancy Wilson specialty in the kitchen? What do you like to cook? Oh, I'm pretty good with different pasta, but I'm really good with um, like a rosemary chicken. It's pretty one of my world famous dishes. Yeah. Oh, wow. That sounds pretty good. I'm I'm pretty much a carb junkie, so the pasta sounds good and the chicken sounds good. So I'll be right over, Nancy. You're on the other side of the country, but if I was uh closer, I would be right there. You're you're still in the Seattle area, right? Well actually, um we were in the LA area for quite a while, mainly on the road most of the time, but um then I moved up here with my new husband to well not you know, nine years later he's my still my we're newlyweds but to northern california here in sonoma county which is really a perfect place to land right as the shutdown was happening mm. um and it's you know i have a play a music space uh that's not attached to the house that my first real studio so i could make tons of racket in there and not disturb anybody and is that where you made the new record? Yeah, I made it at home with, you know, all, I pulled out all my nice gear, my favorite guitars, my favorite amps, really great microphones. And I purchased a little interface, six track kind of thing that a friend of mine knew how to run. So we were, um, you know, working, sending stuff around, sending files to my guy in Denver. I called it like, the lab California, the lab Denver, the lab Seattle, the lab Austin, because <laughs> the, uh, most of my heart, the guys from Heart that were playing on my album are in Seattle. You know, they're all in Seattle, but they were passing it around from their house to their house to their house. But we'd all been really familiar with each other as players because we just did a huge tour together. The last Heart tour was pretty big. And it was like 58 shows. And so we were all really... We spoke shorthand with each other as players, and I think we, even though we did it remotely, we sound like we did it together <laughs> for that reason. Well, the album is called You and Me, and you mentioned The Lab. At one point, it was going to be called The Lab, right? For Yeah, it was going to be called The Lab um, because it was like I was in a lab, you know, concocting some stuff to send to a different lab, and then they would concoct stuff to send to the other labs and then back to the main lab. But when I when I got the song You and Me um, going, when I got that song done, I figured that might be the coolest thing to call the album because it's, it's a conversation between you and your, um, you know, your heart fan or you and, and your best friend or you and your mom, for example. This, in this case, it's kind of to my mom having had a dream of her and then, you know, feeling like we really got a chance to talk again. So it's kind of a, between you and your audience. It can, it can be interpreted in many ways, of course, but um, I thought it was a bold, kind of a brave, sim simply, uh, simplistically, deceptively simple title. <laughs> mm. uh, um, Nancy, you lost your mom, I'm, I'm assuming? You said... Yeah, she's, like she was, she's long gone, as is my dad. And um, But our, my collaborator, you know, Sue Ennis, who's worked on a lot of heart music for a long, long time, 
we kind of got together on this song because um, she'd had a song I really liked the music for called Follow Me. And I had words for for my mom after a dream about her called You, Me, and Gravity. And so it's like we were like, hey, let's make a hybrid out of both of our mom songs. And mm. lo and behold, it comes out in time for Mother's Day, which was not yeah. even planned. But But it's not just for mothers. It's for, you know mother figures, nurturing others in your life. Now, the reason I ask about your mom and your dad in this case is I always wondered, were were your parents supportive of you and Anne chasing the rock and roll dream and playing music and going on the road at such a young age? Well, yeah, they were. They actually were. They We started so young. Like, I started playing guitar about nine years old, and we started making little bands to try to be like the Beatles, you know, little folk bands, a little, um, you know, little harmony vocal type bands with girls from the choir in high school. And so we played out all over the place and we, we were show offs, you know, we were showboaters <laughs> and we, uh, so we just kind of had our comp. We were started to be pretty competent at a pretty early age and being from such a musical family, like everybody in our family played either some piano or some ukulele or, or singing harmonies and stuff. Um, even the grandparents, all of us would do that a lot in our family. So they were, they saw that we were competent and, you know, we, we were like destined for something. So they, they gave us their blessing. My mom just said, one day said, okay, if you're going to finally, you, you you went to some college. Now you're going to join Anne's band. So just remember one thing: when you're going into walking into the tinsel town of it all, just don't forget who you are because you're a good mm. person. Just remember yourself. And of course, you know, famous last words because you go to tinsel town, you kind of forget who you are, <laughs> and right. then you have to figure it all out all over again. Do, you you have children yourself. <laughs> Would you be supportive uh, and have any of your kids gotten into music or, or have shown an interest or did they play at all? Well, one of my two boys, twin boys, is 21 now and he's quite a competent guitar player in his own right. I never encouraged them to play. I never pushed for that, you know, because I was always like, God help us if one of them becomes a rock star. <laughs> but, um, you know, um, but he's actually really pretty good. He actually helped me with some lyrics on a song on the album called The In-Between. He'd written a poem for for class that was really cute and very, um, you know, whimsical kind of a little ditty, and it turned into a cool song on the album. Mm. You got a you got a bunch of my friends here making some guest appearances on your record, including yeah. Duff and uh, well, you've got Duff McKagan and you've got Taylor on on a track called um, "Party at Angels Ballroom," which is a, one of the rockers on the record. How did that one come about? Well, um, I had done some work at ta- for Taylor for his solo album before we left LA. Um, his solo album is really great. It's it's called Get the Money, and I sang yeah. a little bit. I had him on for it. I had him on for it. We had a lot of fun talking about that. Oh, I know him and his band really well. It's great stuff. He's he's a guy who says rad more than any person I've ever met. <laughs> he, everything is so rad with with Taylor. I love that. About usually, him. usually in surfer yeah. shorts when he's saying it. <laughs> I know that. I, yeah, like and looking like he just you know came out of the ocean. 
But um, yeah, and and so I when I started my album, I just I contacted him, I texted him, and I just said, "Hey, dude, you owe me one. So what do you think? You got anything like sitting around, like any jams or anything like that?" And he goes, "Well, as a matter of fact, I have this jam that me and Duff did, um, and I'll just send it to you." So he sent me the jam that they had, and there was no like lyrics, like, but I had some lyric ideas for that because we just lost another you know, rock angel of our, you know, like I think it was Patty or something. And I caught myself saying, oh, man, they must be having some kind of party up there at the Angel Ballroom right about now. And I said, hey, wait a minute, that's not a bad title. So it turns out to be a really fun song um, that we wrote together, uh, you know, without being together. but, But the jam had all the energy I was looking for. And those guys are great players. And then you've got a Simon and Garfunkel cover. And we should tell people the album is about eight originals, but also some great covers on there. And the Simon and Garfunkel cover you do with a guy who's one of my favorite people in the world, and that's Sammy Hagar. And it's amazing. I mean, Sammy to me is amazing how creative, how vibrant, how great he can still sing, how engaged he is, how much he's still out there at his age. He just doesn't stop. He's remarkable, and he's still so good at it. So talk about your history with Sammy and, and doing the Simon and Garfunkel cover of The Boxer with him. Well, yeah, we've, we've, we've known each other a while. We've been buddies for a while. Um, even him and my, my hubby were great friends because they were both, both from the Marin area growing up. And so he was, you know, he's just like one of the most just, just funniest pers- people on. He's just funny as hell, that guy. And as cool as can be. And as en- the energy is so, so positive and strong. Yeah. And so um, I, you know, had done s- various benefits or two with him. He came out and played with Hart for, um, for a DVD Christmas show that we did in Seattle a while back. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I can never say no to, to Sammy, you know, he, he does this benefit every year. So I've done it a couple of times. So I said, okay, well, Hey, I'm making a solo album. So you owe me one dude. And <laughs> he's like, okay, well I'll do that. But I don't want to do like a big rocker. I want to do something unexpected. So I said, well, I'm doing the boxer because I did it last tour with Hart, and it was a big, a big, uh, fun song to do, sing along kind of thing. And he said, "I'll do the boxer." I was a boxer. My dad was a boxer, so you know. So he becomes he he, he comes into the song, and he and he he inhabits the actual character of the boxer in the song. It's really perfect what he how he updated the song. Yeah, there's great stuff on here. You do a great version of Pearl Jam's Daughter, which, uh, you know, you guys, Hart being one of the, you know, the, the bands to come out of Seattle, I mean, that whole scene that that came uh, long after you, it's it's interesting to see you know, you, most of those bands would be covering or taking the knee to Hart, but here you are covering Pearl Jam. I thought that was kind <laughs> of a cool thing to do. Oh yeah, thanks. Well, there's a movie that's about to come out that I did that originally did that for, before I even started the solo album. I had recorded that down with some really cool guys in Austin for a film, which is coming out really soon on May uh, 14th, called "I Am All Girls," 
and they asked me to do a song for the film. And it's a film, a true story, really powerful and aspirational film about um, a singular story in the world of human trafficking. So mm. I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to sing a song for a, a movie with that kind of powerful message, then something like Daughter would be perfect for that, especially from a woman's perspective, because, um, you know, there's a line in the, in the song that says she holds the hand that holds her down. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it turned out really different, unlike what I would have ever imagined. But I think uh, the guy that made the film, Simon Schwartz really loves it. And, so it's about to debut in the film on the 14th of May. Wow. We'll look forward to yeah, that. Speaking speaking yeah. of Seattle and the, and those bands, um, tell me about Chasing the Dragon, which is really one of my favorites. It's a really cool song. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, The Dragon is a song I wrote in the early 90s, having come you know back from you know the 80s, the brink of the 80s into the 90s, where music sort of out of Seattle was exploding into something really good and way different from the 80s. And we'd actually just sort of arrived back in our hometown of Seattle and met all those guys pretty much at the wake for the Andrew Woods, who was with Mother Love Bone before Eddie Vedder stepped in, um, when they became Mookie, Mookie Blaylock for a minute. So anyway, we met all these guys at this, this kind of wake that was in a big Seattle house with, you know, my friend Kelly who managed Pearl Jam forever and ever before they were Pearl Jam um, said, come, come and bring your dogs and meet these guys. Cause you know, everybody needs cheering up and, and everybody would love to meet you. So we kind of, we were kind of indoctrinated into the Seattle scene that way. And it's still a brotherhood, and a sisterhood all the way around for us. I mean, Mike Inez was in heart actually for going on, I guess, five years or so. And we all saw at the time we could all tell that Lane was going down the, you know, the addiction road and he could not get back. And when we saw, when I saw that and having met him and knowing how sweet a person he was, I wrote that song for him even before he was gone because I saw it coming and it was such, you know, it's kind of a sad song and it sounds very Seattle uh, yeah. like those, the tuning and the the guitar parts and the structure of it. Yeah. But I it was, the yeah, song, the, kind of a the, song for Lane. <laughs> yeah. The song is just called the dragon. And I said chasing the dragon because isn't that the term used with heroin? It's a reference to heroin, right? Right. It's also a Steely Dan song. Tonight when I chase the dragon. Right. There's that one too. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a reference to smoking heroin as opposed to um, you know, fixing up with heroin. Nancy, in all your years doing this and all the decades doing this, were drugs ever an issue for you or were did you take your mom's advice and stay on the straight and narrow for the most part as far as that was concerned? Well, you know, we were outshined by a lot of other rockers <laughs> in that area. We we were pretty, we we kind of teetered a few times, you know, but we never missed a show, and we were always on time. 
and we always did the show well. So that tells you a lot about, you know, just um, how insidious we allowed the drugs to get in, into our lives. We were so we were so hell bent on being professional and you know being appreciated and you know not losing our jobs. <laughs> There are so many bands that wouldn't show up for hours and hours, if at all, you know, during those days. And um, we were not one of them. Yeah, I was talking to Michael DeBars yesterday on the show, and he's got a documentary about it, about his life. And we were going through all the bands he was a part of. And I said, why did that band end? And And every answer he gave me during the whole conversation was drugs, drugs, drugs. And I oh was just God. like, wow. And, and I said, that's just it's kind of sad because we went through four bands that all had this great promise and every one of them was derailed by drugs. And he said, yeah, pretty much. But, you know, he also told me something interesting that no matter how bad he may have been at the time, when it came to that hour to get on stage, they, they, that he was always able to pull it together. So I just thought that was kind of interesting how it how it manifests yeah. itself in, 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 in artists. Well, it's, it's interesting for sure, because... You know, there's a lot of artists that are there for different reasons. And, you know, somebody like Michael DeBar obviously, um, you know, took it so seriously and so um, took it to, like, to be his own church, you know, that his belief system was being able to get up and play the music on the stage. And I'm I'm all for that, too. I, I feel the same way. It's it's like a church that, that you even get to go to. <laughs> And get on a stage, or or if you're in the audience, it's like a church you also get to go to. Like the times I went and saw Zeppelin play live, or you know, I was in church. I was I was taking dictation, you know, from I was learning the hymns. <laughs> <laughs> you you know what you know what makes me crazy though with these guys, like whether it's Michael or whether it's Glenn Hughes, who I know very well, or whether it's Steven Tyler, yeah. or all these guys that are in their seventies and had four, decades of abusive behavior they all look yeah. and sound so good now <laughs> it's like they, <laughs> what, I, I say what does it preserve them or something like how is this possible <laughs> <laughs> well you know i mean maybe that maybe it's it's like the thing they call um emotionally stunted you know it's like sort of physically stunted out there for a while like pickled <laughs> or something for a while i don't know keith richards case in point there you go i guess <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. Keith, Keith will outlive us all. It's, it's remarkable. Hard to believe first ever solo album from Nancy and uh, check it out. Some great stuff, uh, some great acoustic stuff, some covers, some rock stuff, some guests, a, a mix of a lot of different things. Nancy, one of the things that I thought was uh, really, really touching on the record was your tribute to Eddie Van Halen for Edward Talk a little bit about that. I imagine that this record was probably fairly done when when Eddie's passing was announced. Yeah, that's right. Um, it was almost there, and you know, somebody asked me if I would do an instrumental, acoustic instrumental on my record, and I said, "Yeah, I will. I will dedicate. I will do it, and I'll dedicate it to Eddie." And so, that's where for Edward came from. And instantly, I was like, regretted it because. It's like, wait, that's that's a really tall order, you know, to dedicate something to Edward Van Halen, you know, the most, you know, astoundingly talented guitar player that ever lived, but, um, or among the top five anyway, but yeah, but uh, then I, I kind of remembered the time where he played me 
he didn't have an acoustic guitar, so I gave him one and and like he worked he played it all night, called me in the hotel on my phone and, and said, "Listen, I, I I worked out this song." And he played me this beautiful acoustic piece um that I was just trying to channel, remember kind of basically what it felt like to hear that and that was the thing that helped me actually get there and finish it. <laughs> what was your what was your history and relationship like with him, Nancy? Did, when did you first meet him, and how well did you know him? I think it was uh, early '80s when we were we were touring a lot of the same festivals together, and um, we hit it off. At, you know, like the joke was like, "Oh, there's two sisters and there's two brothers. Ha ha ha! Let's go have drinks." You know, <laughs> so. Um, they, I, I have to say this, but they they introduced us to the kamikaze in, at the hotel bar one one time, one time, oh. and we were like, "Whoa, Nelly, that's a strong one," you know. But they were like really super partiers, and they were just primal with each other, and they'd almost get in fights, and then they'd hug and say, "I love you, man," and you know they were just all over the map. But they were, um, they never seemed to miss a beat when they were on the stage so i don't know how they did that but uh but me and me and ed kind of hit it off pretty well because being guitar players and you know just being around each other and going wow you guys are good no you guys are good so (laughs) so when he complimented me on my acoustic playing i said why don't you do that he says because i don't have it i don't even have one so that's why i gave him one and he played it all night Wow. Did you ever jam with him? I never did. Actually never did, which I think I was just too insanely insecure to even try to do that, you know, because he's such a maestro on guitar. You know, it's like most guys who jam, jam in a sort of a bluesy sort of fashion, like in a pentatonic blues scale type scales. But with Eddie's writing, he was, largely in a major key and that's much harder keys those are harder keys to jam to i think unless you're just real you know just bashing out something really simple but um which would have been fun but i i was just too nervous to do that (laughs) Mm. you you personally as a guitar player of course you're known for your acoustic playing you do so much of it in heart and and on this new record as well do you do you favor playing acoustic over electric or is it just what the song calls for for me, it's what the song tells you to do. Um, you know, I've played some big fat electrics in some of those tracks too, which is super fun. The, um, the 63 telly that I've been wielding ever since, I don't know, longer than I can even remember, is is just such a battle axe and it's such a great um, good old friend of a guitar. And it's, it's kind of like that tonality of the Bruce Springsteen Telecaster sound that I love. It's really gritty. It's got this dirt and fat dirt about it that's so appealing to in a rock song. And um but the acoustic I like to play now most of all is the the Martin signature thing that I worked on with Martin because it's got that kind of Crosby Stills and Nash type build and tonality and stuff. And it's really responsive, too, so you can kind of pound on it, which I tend to do. <laughs> I tend to play acoustic more like a percussion, like a Neil Young kind of thing. 
But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I like. I just like to be a player, and I like to be a singer. So do you, are, 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 and do you have a large collection of guitars? Are you like somebody who's a big collector, or you just basically have the stuff that you are comfortable with that serves you well, and you keep it at that? I kind of keep what I use on stage. There's an A rig, and then there's a B rig. If you're going to leapfrog to do, like, say, a, um, a private show between regular heart shows. So I have, like, a setup for a smaller setup and a, and a big setup, which are my go-to guys. All my Those are, like, my favorite go-tos. But I have some other really cool stuff. I've got, I've got you know, a, a, a couple of older instruments and mandolins and parlor guitar and some really cool um, semi-hollow body um, electrics and more jazz stuff and more Strat-type guitars laying around. But when I, when I came to put my stuff out in my new studio, I just kind of went to the basics, you know. I've got a Fender Deluxe, old Fender Deluxe amplifier that just like, there's nothing like that. Like, I can see why people collect those amps because they just have such an amazing, warm, you know, fat rock tone, and they're not even a big amp. Mm. And there's good microphones that I collected along the way with scoring music. So, you know, like the Neumanns, the really good Neumanns and stuff, and the Sound Deluxe mics. So putting those in the mix in front of a good amp and a good guitar and good old guitar, good old amp, and really good mics. I don't know what what more you're really going to need, except the occasional right. spicy thing, you know, a sparkle here, a sparkle there. Right. You know, we talk <laughs> about we talk about you and me being your first solo record coming out on Friday, and of course it is. But you did do a record called The Road Home, which was a live record, and and that came out back in '95. And that record, and on that record, you worked with when we talk about these iconic, legendary people. For people that don't know, you worked yeah. with John Paul Jones on that record as a as a producer. Oh yeah, <laughs> I he, hear it taking he, your breath away already. Just saying that somebody oh, from Zeppelin worked I'm, with you. <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm hyperventilating just remembering that whole experience because he he came to town. You know, we we somebody some people talked to the other people and and he was interested to work with us on a project, and so we we're like, okay, well. We could do this. We could do an acoustic live album in a club with him. So he came to town and met us for coffee. And um, we were like pinching ourselves every day for the whole time he was in town. Like we were working with him. We were going through the heart catalog, trying to pick songs out, like singing and playing them and then narrowing down the set list. And he, he would go back to his hotel and, write up like a string chart, you know, for the, the Joni Mitchell song that we did called River. And um, he's just like an incredibly, insanely all-around talented musician who plays mandolin, he plays bass, he plays keys, of course, and he does, he can write string charts, you know. So it's, you know, we, we just couldn't believe it was happening. And I still hardly believe it even happened. <laughs> well, how, well, how about playing in front of Zeppelin at the Kennedy Center thing? I mean, that had to be even crazier. <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> I mean, hey, no pressure. It's just, you know, a room full of dignitaries and the president, the first lady, <laughs> and the Zeppelin in there. So, you know, it was 
um, something we could not not do. So we had to fly from another show, and we only had one rehearsal because we were playing a show the the day of the first rehearsal. But we were traveling to get there then, and it was cold as heck in Washington D.C. My hands were freezing when we finally got into the uh, the practice room with all the choirs and uh, and the, all the players and the choirs and the band and everybody in there. And my hands were so stiff and frozen from the jet. You know, it was December. It was Christmas time. So it's like, okay, go. Let's just play Stairway to Heaven. You start. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. I'm trying to play the beginning, you know, and I, I'm just kind of like barely getting it together because like it was so it was just cold drafty old place and so the guys at the bat in the band the the house band were like okay well uh, okay well um maybe if we want we could just shadow you we could just play along kind of behind just shadowing the part a little bit it's like no 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 really seriously i got this don't worry about me my hands are very cold right now and please don't worry, I've got this. I've, play, I've been playing this all my life. So so the next day I was really making sure with the show day, you know, my hands were ready for it. And, and I put my hands in my hubby's armpits, you know, like hand warmers, and <laughs> walked out there, took a really, really deep breath, looked Anne in the eye, and had a very big exhale and started. And... So it was. Um, it went. It went off really great. And even afterwards, uh, the the guys, the Zeppelin guys, each came back individually and said, like uh, Jones, he was like, "Wow, you did a great job." And then Robert Plant goes, "Whoa, I learned to just hate that song because everybody murders it, but you did it justice. Way to way to go, you know." And um, Jimmy Page goes to me and goes. You play that great, just lovely. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've died and gone to heaven all over again. So, yeah, I think the reason they were kind of emotional, too, when we finally saw it later after it was edited, was the fact that um, Jason Bonham, John, John Bonham's son, was there playing the drums with that song, with all, with all the great reveals that happened throughout the song. And, and so... I think that he was the little kid, you know, scampering around in their practice areas, in their rehearsal space, in their studio space, or wherever they were recording and running around outside when they recorded outside. And he was a little kid that grew up with them, like his uncles. So I'm sure that was a lot about the um, the emotional reaction that they got, that they were surprised mm. to have <laughs> during that time. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. And you know, another huge moment for for Hart was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and your induction. And I got to tell you, as a fan, I give you you so much props, you and the band, you and Anne, how you handled that. Because whenever an artist gets in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, there's always controversy whether they should have been there sooner and if they show up and all that. And then the controversy yeah. becomes, well, who actually <clears throat> plays and if there's some, you know, tensions or past histories, there's people aren't in the band who attends and, and, and do they mend the bridge for the night? Uh, there's a few bands that I, that, that I think of that I think did the right thing for the fans on that night. Uh, Cheap Trick comes to mind when they brought Bunny out, even though they weren't, he wasn't right. in the band. I thought it was wonderful how you guys handled that for the band, for the fans 
and you you respected your entire history and had the former band come out for a song or two. Looking back on that whole experience and that whole night, how do how do how do you remember it? Well, yeah, it was it was one of those things where you're like, oh no, oh no, really? You have we're gonna have to like get in a room with the original lineup guys, like two of which were boyfriends of mine, you know, beforehand. <laughs> so there was even a lot more drama that could you know ensue from just being in the same room together. Um, but it was ner- it was really nerve wracking, and um, once we actually started. We got to the rehearsal place and everybody was in there. And I just made a point, you know, just to say a really warm welcome to everyone and, you know, you know, blow kisses and stuff like that. Make sure that everybody knew there was not going to be a big wall of, um, you know, nervous, uh, competitive drama, dramatic anything, just no emotional you know, confusion should happen there. It should be about the legacy and it should be about the music and the songs that we created together and to get over our differences or to get over our pet, you know, our um, things from the past that we carried around, all the old baggage we could, it's like time to drop the bags, you know, just drop the baggage and do this for, for the legacy. And and I think it worked out really well because at first it was very tense and there was some there were some you know kind of glares passed around but we just once we started to play and it was like oh and we made it a point too to make sure that our current lineup also got to play as well so right. we'd have the first lineup and then the new lineup doing different songs and so we, I, I just thought I it was so was, great yeah. yes. So great how you handled that. And there's bands that handle it really well like you did, despite what's going on. And then, honestly, there's bands that have just, I thought, really shortchanged the fans because they just couldn't get past it for the one night. And I so much respect for the way you, you treated the yeah. legacy and the fans on that night. I thought it was really uh, special. I only got a few minutes left, but there's something I always wanted to ask you about. And I could talk to you forever, <laughs> but this is something... Lately, Fast Times at Ridgemont High has been on TV constantly at night. And every time that movie's on, I can't help but to stop on it because it's such a great movie. It takes me back to being a kid. It's so funny. But it you, of really course, funny. have that great moment in that movie. Now, now of course, I know that, that I believe after that you, you were for a time married to Cameron Crowe, but I don't think you were at the time. And I always wondered how you ended up having that cameo in Fast Times and what you remember about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was dating the director at the time. <laughs> I guess I got the part. Oh, okay. Uh, no, I, I was I was curious to just try out try out something like that because I'd never done that, and I really enjoyed the. I'm a studio cat, you know, so I like I like the 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 procedure of cameras and gear and you know recording stuff and capturing things, and so I, I was I was hanging around a lot of those sets. Um, you know, I was there like hiding behind the doorway in the scene where Mr. Hand, you know, the Mr. Pizza guy <laughs> comes to the classroom. And all you that. were there that day? Oh, I my God. I was there that day. You know, Ray <laughs> Walston was riding his bike around on the set on the school grounds. And I got to see some really classic scenes go down from, you know, behind the monitor, like peeking around a corner out, out of frame. But um, 
But I just thought, oh, wow, it'd be, it'd be really fun. It's, you know, everybody's having fun on the film. I could just have fun. I could just, like, you know, just get a cameo moment and boom, there it is. But then it turns out that you have to get up really early and <laughs> you just go to hair and makeup. And it's a lot of work, you know. And I, I was, I'm not good at, still not good at getting up early. Me neither. Except for you, of course. But um, well, you, well, you're early yeah. <laughs> Pacific time, but trust me, I know because I'm totally nocturnal myself. And when I'm on the oh, West yeah. Coast, starting the show at 11 a.m. is traumatic. So I'm a total, totally with <laughs> you in that camp. Right, right. But yeah, that was a really good one. It's, it's cool. People have been mentioning it again. That's probably why. Yeah, it's on cable constantly, and it's just such a funny scene, the smirk you give him, and he's wearing the hat, and it's just it's just so, I mean, <laughs> no matter, that's one of those movies that no matter if you've seen it a thousand times, you're still going to stop on it and watch it, because everybody has a moment they like, and that was just such a great scene, and I always wondered what your recollections were about it. That's a comedy de force, you know, tour de force comedy yep. movie, it really is, and so is Almost Famous, in my opinion, yeah. that's another Pretty for sure. incredible comedy, yeah. So just, Nancy, just in wrapping up here, um, what is the future? Uh, do you want to try to go out and do shows with the solo uh, stuff if you can? And, uh, you know, it's very well known that you and Anne had a pretty public falling out not too long ago, but you've come back together. How is your relationship now, and is there a future for Hart as well? Well, yes. I say yes to all of the above. It's, uh, it's looking like July 9th, we're going to do a live stream and live show with uh, the Seattle Symphony, actually, at the Benaroya Hall with my my other singer from my other band, Liv Warfield, to help mm -hmm. me do some of the heart stuff as well and some of the new stuff. And then um, as we speak, there's an offer from Live Nation on the table for Heart 2022 to do a bigger tour. And so we say yes to all of the above. <laughs> and and you do you, you hope to be able would you like to be able to tour the solo record and, and be able to put a band together and do that in maybe smaller venues even if you could get out this year yeah if i could get out this year with my play my heart players and live my my other singer um and be able to do some heart stuff and some new stuff and with the string charts we're we're generating we'd be able to go and probably do that in a similar fashion in a few different performance centers as well. And, um, you know, it remains to be seen how, you know, how live audiences are going to be distance or any of that stuff so far. But, you know, maybe if, if you laminate your vaccination card and show your ID, you might be able to get in, get a ticket or, or I don't know how they're going to do exactly, but I'm ready, <laughs> I'm ready to do it. Yeah, well, it seems like stuff's starting to happen and things are starting to move and some touring starting to yeah. happen, and, and, and uh, I think that's uh, that's a really encouraging sign. It's an encouraging sign. It's really exciting to see a few shows popping up here and there. Even if, they have, if, they're, if they're seated six feet apart or whatever, it's just good live music's going to get back on its feet. It really feels that way to me. Yeah, And I'm looking for sure. forward to it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Thanks to Nancy Wilson. Great to visit with her. And thanks earlier in the conversation to Rick Allen of Def Leppard. Remember, all those interviews originally aired on Trunk Nation on Sirius XM Volume. Please join me 
every day on the radio, live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on 106 for Rock Talk and interviews. And, of course, nightly re-airs, 10 to midnight Eastern, full shows, audio, video, and more on the SiriusXM app. Thank you for listening to the podcast, everybody. Have yourselves a great week. I'll back again next Thursday for another all-new episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. And, of course, back every weekday live on the radio on volume. Have a good one. Oh, and thanks to Joel Pollack for producing the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.